Welcome to the Restoration Church weekly podcast. Please take a minute to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And be sure to download the Church Center app. This is the best way to stay connected and up to date with all that's happening at Restoration Church. Most importantly, we hope the following message will help draw you closer to Christ. Thanks for listening. Very dramatic. I know that's like something amazing must be coming, which it is. Friends, today we start our season of Be Rich, something we talk about every year for the last, I don't know, five or six years. We have uh, done this campaign and we have had this season where we are uh, generously outpouring God's love upon our community in practical and tangible ways. But before we get into this uh, conversation, and this is just a really quick two-week conversation we're going to have about Be Rich this year. Uh, before we get into that, I do want to say uh, we've been talking about the gratitude this morning and our, our need to experience um, God's grace, to acknowledge it, and then to express our gratitude, right? That's a sign of a mature Christian. We are starting something that we're, we're picking back up, something that we, we did uh, for many years prior to the pandemic, which is something we called 40 Days of Gratitude. And it's just a challenge. It's a challenge to... Um, think about every single day about the blessings that we have, the 10,000 reasons we have, we have, we have, um, we're warranted to, to give God thanks and praise for all that he has done in our life, everything that he does every single day. And so day one is actually next Sunday, October 15th, day 40, then it would be Thanksgiving day. Two ways that you can participate in doing this. We have these cards that are available to you inside. These cards are 40 post-it notes. You could just take, and every day you would write something that you see as a blessing, um, and then you would put it on a mirror or your kitchen cupboard or somewhere where you're going to see it and be reminded of all the blessings that you have. Or you could do it digitally. Every day, if you're, if you're a Facebook user, Instagram, whatever, you can make a post every day and be reminded then. Um, next year, during the season, you'll be, you see those memories come up, which is kind of cool. You'll see what you were thankful for this year. And then we encourage you to gather those 39 at that point, those 39 uh, reasons to be thankful and bring them with you on uh, Thanksgiving Eve, where we will celebrate uh, God's grace together uh, as we reflect on all that we have to be grateful for. At 7 p.m. that evening, it's a Wednesday evening, I would encourage you to join us then. What's cool about this is that the kids are also participating downstairs. If you have kids in our kids' ministry, they're going to come home with um, 40 prompts, and then they can make a paper chain of all that they're grateful for over the next 40 days. Uh, so they get to participate as well. So I love that. Um, it's not just for us. It's also for the whole family. So I would encourage you to take as many of these or take the paper chains or whatever you need to do. Take as many as you need to remind yourself to be grateful for all that God has given you over the next 40 days as we head towards Thanksgiving. Can't believe we're talking about Thanksgiving or planning for Christmas. Wild to think about, but it is happening. And so we do encourage you to join us then. It's going to be a great time of celebration. But today we are starting a series that um, is really more of a season that we like to call Be Rich around here, or as the series is titled, In Our Community for Our Community, and why we do this, why we believe that it's so necessary in this day and age and in this part of the country, in this region in particular, that is so post-Christian and so anti-everything that the church is about, why it's so important for us to be in our community and for our community, how we go about doing that and what we believe the outcome is going to be as well. 
Every year we talk about um, this passage of Scripture. We bring it up. I'm going to bring it up very briefly. We're going to kind of run through it really quickly, and we're going to talk about all of the ways that you can partner with us to make Be Rich successful this year. Here's what Paul wrote to Timothy, and here's really the inspiration. Here is the reasoning behind why we do something like this. Here's what he wrote to a mentee of his named Timothy. Command those who are rich in this present world. And friends, I know that some of you want to push back immediately and say, okay, this is for everybody else because I know that I'm not rich. This might be for other people, but it can't be for me because we know who the rich people are and it's certainly not me. We live in Levittown, Pennsylvania, right? We're not rich people. We know who the rich people are. We're not the rich people. I just want to think about this for a second, though. How many of you this past week alone paid someone else to cook a meal for you? Ate at a restaurant, okay? Wow, what a privilege, isn't it? That we get to have other people cook our food for you. Uh, Some of us, we pay other people to mow our lawns for us. We pay other people to clean our house for us. How many of you walked into Target, maybe Walmart this week, and you went in with a shopping list of three or four things, and you walked out with a cart full of things? What a privilege is that we have the opportunity to do things like that. We have heat and cool air at the press of a button. What a privilege it is to live in the country that we do. Here's the thing, Terrence. If you make $37,000 a year, you are in the top 4% of wage earners in the entire world. It is ridiculous. I would encourage you, take a second at some point throughout the day. Go to wid.world, W-I-D.world, World Inequality Database. With just a few minutes of your time, you can put in just a couple of data points, and you can find out exactly where you fall on the wealthiest or inequality, right, the the least wealthy people throughout the entire world. Incredible. Um, Most of us in this room are in the top 1% to 3% of wage earners in the entire world. You may not feel rich, friends, but my friends, you're rich. We are rich. And so is Paul talking to us? Yeah. Paul is talking to us. We need to pay attention. But here's the thing, and we, we say this a lot. Just because we're rich doesn't make us good at being rich. It's not natural to be good at being rich, and so we have to work at it. We have to practice it. Being good at being rich is an acquired skill. It takes practice. It takes discipline. It takes commitment. Being good at being rich isn't not, it's not just deciding what to do with our money. It's also concerning ourselves with what our money does to us. Have you guys ever thought about what your money does to you? Like we take our money, right, and we get to spend it. We get to do things with our money. But if you were taking a second to think about what your money does to you, Here's what C.S. Lewis wrote in his incredible book, The Screwtape Letters. He said, prosperity knits a man to the world, woman to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it while really it is finding its place in him. Money influences its possessors. It does something to us. It changes us. It affects us. Wealth has the ability to manipulate us and change us like nothing else can. We know this is true because I think we've all experienced it. A CNBC study in 2020 found that there is a direct correlation between anxiety and how close we are to payday. That most Americans, they they discovered, that there is a direct correlation between payday and the stress that we experience financially. It doesn't matter how much money you make. They, they, they pulled people from all across the spectrum, really rich people according to American standards, really poor people according to American standards. It did not matter how much money you made. There is a direct correlation between stress and payday. 
Anxiety, insecurity, fret, worry, and stress, they ride a wave around payday. And they found that a few days after payday was actually the least stressful time. But this is all it shows, right? This is all, and maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you have stress around your finances, uh, whatever it may be. Um, maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you've experienced that payday isn't actually the least stressful time because that's when all the bills are due, right? You have to go pay all those bills, and that's kind of stressful. Here's what they discover. Payday didn't solve anything. How many of you think that I just got to make it to payday? I just got to make it to payday. I just got to make it to payday. Payday didn't solve anything. It didn't take the stress away. You just rode the next wave on into the next time of stress. Payday didn't solve anything. But money or payday, it is a primary influence on people's mental and emotional stability. Why? Because money affects us. Money changes us. Money does something to us. So Paul tells Timothy, command those who are rich in this world not to be so rich. No, that's not what he says. We think that's what he's going to say. We think he's going to say not to be so rich as if wealth in and of itself is bad. We, we, we think of what Paul wrote earlier in this chapter to his friend Timothy. He says, money is a root of all kinds of evil. And you've experienced that, and we, we've talked about this all the time, right? You think this money is the root of all evil. Of course, money is the root of all evil. So we think Paul is saying, don't be so rich because then you won't be so evil. But that's not what, actual, what Paul actually says. He says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Wealth is not evil. It's the heart idolizing it and idolizing what you can purchase with money and what you can do with money that generates evil. Paul knows wealth can be an enormous blessing given by God. That the wealth we have is an enormous blessing entrusted to us by God. And it can foster even greater generosity in us if we manage what God has entrusted to us well. And so he says, no, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Don't be arrogant. Because, you know, when this graph doesn't apply to us, I mean, some of you are thinking, man, you know what? I I don't stress about money very often. When this graph doesn't apply to us, which, again, that study showed that it's not very many people. When this graph doesn't apply to us, we have a tendency to think highly of ourselves. Man, I got my stuff together. I don't know what you all fretting about, but I got my stuff together. Look at me. I'm responsible. Look at me, I save. Look at me, you know, I don't have debt. Look at me, I, I, I purchase responsibly. I got my stuff together. It causes an arrogance in us. Life is comfortable. Look at me, I've got things together. I'm on top of the world. I don't know what you guys are all doing with all the money you've been given, but hey, I'm doing it well. Look at me. Why does wealth have a tendency and power to knit us to the world? Because the propensity to measure our value by the value of our things starts young. We have a lot, we have a tendency to think highly of ourselves, but when we only have a little, then we tend to feel little, especially in a culture that puts so much emphasis on stuff. And ours certainly does, doesn't it? So much emphasis on stuff. This past uh, week, October 1st, was that last Sunday? Um, so Monday morning, opened my mailbox. Do you know what I got in the mail? October 2nd? Amazon Christmas catalog. It's October 2nd. And we're saying, our society is telling us that we need to go start spending money on Christmas. We live in a culture where awareness and the marketers behind awareness is going to drive our consumption. And we all have this propensity. It's especially true of some people I know. I'm going to call up my daughter Evelyn first. She's only six, so she doesn't have a lot of self-control. But it was funny. We were at Peathers Village uh, last weekend, two weekends ago. And... uh 
And she kept, she had, she had this self-talk. This conversation was going on her because she knows that when we ever go to Pillars Village, we have a favorite toy store up there. Um, Jazam's toy store. It's a great toy, toy store. We always take our kids there. That's foolish of ours. I don't know. Why, why do we do this to ourselves? I don't know. Um, as they get older, it's a lot easier, right? But she's young. And so she, she had this self-talk going, though. She was just having this conversation on the way up to Pillars Village while we're walking around the village looking at the scarecrow. She's like, I, I don't need anything. I, I don't need anything. I, w- if, if there's something I want, I can put it on my Christmas list. And I'm like, yeah, you can. You're like, yeah, tell us what you want. We'll put it on your Christmas list. That's great. I don't need anything. I, I just had a birthday. I don't need anything. She kept saying this to herself over, I don't need anything. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good to go. I don't need anything. And then we get to the toy store. And she starts seeing everything that she doesn't have. And she breaks down and she melts down. She's like, Dad, I just want this one thing. I, I don't know how much this costs. I don't know. I just want it. What is it? It's a keychain. Why do you want it? I don't know. I just want it. I just need it. No, you're not going to get the keychain. Like, you will put on Christmas. No, I want it now. Like, they why? Why do we do this to ourselves? Why do we do this to our family and ourselves? I don't know why we do it. But why does this happen? Because awareness drives our consumption. Awareness, like you didn't even know of all the things you wanted in the world until you became aware of them. And that's why places like Amazon and Target are going to send your kids Christmas catalogs in the mail because they know that when they see things that they don't have, they're going to want them. What's interesting about the Amazon catalog is that there are no prices attached to anything inside this catalog. And so it says, if you want to know how much this costs, what do you have to do? Well, go put it in your cart, and the discount will be applied there. And so there is so much psychological manipulation in marketing, friends, in the society. Why? Why does it do this? Corey, Corey. <laughs> You're going to miss all, all the good things that we have going on here, all right, if I, if I end right now. They want to manipulate you. They want you to buy their things, and so they're going to say, if I, can, if I can tell them to take one step closer to purchasing things, they know that they've made you one step closer towards purchasing things, maybe something that you don't even need. When we begin to measure our value by the value of the things we spend money on, we don't have on things we don't need. We will spend money on things we don't have. We will spend money on things we don't need. Money we don't, oh my goodness. We'll spend money we don't have on things we don't need. There we go. When we begin to measure our value by the value of our things, we will spend money we don't have on things we don't need. But, There are things that we believe will add to our comparative value because awareness of all the things we don't have grows, our self-worth tends to go down. It's strange, isn't it? But that's not all that money does. Paul would say, yeah, certainly, like, money is going to cause arrogance in you, and it's going to cause you to buy things that you don't need because you're going to value your self-worth, measure your self-worth by the value of the things. And so, of course, you're going to want the latest and greatest because your neighbors are going to think more highly of you. Arrogance is going to growing you if you do this he also tells us not to put our hope in our wealth putting your hope in your wealth may not seem like um all that big of a problem after all i think that there 
is a lot of hope when the bills can be paid, right? When, when there's a little bit left over to, to give maybe, to be charitable with or whatever it may be. Like there is a tendency to be hopeful when there is money. But hope often accompanies riches. That's just a fact, right? Paul isn't saying that's not the case or that he doesn't acknowledge that. But placing your hope, and here's, here's the dividing line, placing your hope in your riches and your wealth is different. And that's what Paul wants to make sure that we don't do. That's the trap that he wants to make sure we don't fall into. When riches become the basis of our hope, then we begin treading down a very dangerous path. Why? Because wealth is uncertain. For any of you who have ever lost a job, you know this. Wealth is uncertain. As much as you might care about your money, here's the thing, friends. Your money doesn't care about you. And if your hope and your trust and your well-being is attached to how much money you have, then when your money goes away, and friends, it's going to go away. One way or another, it's going to go away. It'll either go away because you lost a job or your house burned down and it was lost there or some, you know, Eastern European fraudulent company took it from you or it doesn't matter, right? Your wealth is going to go away. And if it doesn't go away on this side of eternity, you're not taken with you into the grave. So one way or another, your wealth is going to go away. Your wealth is going to go away. And when it goes away, if that is where you have put your hope and your trust and your well-being, then when your money goes away, then your hope and your trust and your well-being is going to go with it. The Proverbs say this about the migration of hope. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. Rich people, which is most of us, by the way, we've established that already, have the potential to reach a point where they see their money as the source of their safety and of their security. And when things are going well, then there's a long situation of, you know, hardships that you're able to just, uh, you know, write a check. Nobody writes checks anymore when you're able just to just, you know, go online and pay the balance off and it's all of a sudden you are fine. Wow, you know, there's some hope here. There's some comfort. There's some well-being. We start to put our hope there. When things are going well and there's a long string of situations, it's all we had to do was reach out of our wallets, of our debit cards, and pay off the balance. Things, our, our, our hope our, is migrated towards our wealth. And when we do this long enough, then there's a, a natural inclination to, to, to attach our trust and our hope to the money that we have. But notice that the proverb says it's all imagined. It's an imaginary wall that's too high to scale because, my friends, there is no amount of money that can keep you safe from everything. Hurricanes don't care about how much money you have. Cancer doesn't care about how much money you have. Death certainly does not care about how much money you have. Not only that, but when our hope and our trust is in our money, people begin to do all sorts of crazy things to acquire it. You see $10, you see that, that till open at, at work, and you're like, you know, no one's going to miss $10, and I don't know, it's not that big of a deal. I'm just going to take it quickly and quietly, and it'll pay for my lunch. Great. And then all of a sudden, you know that you're embezzling money from the company, like you're doing more and more and more. Or you're sitting down at that casino just one more time, one more time, one more time. It's not that big of a deal. I know people who have wasted away in front of slot machines. Losing thousands of dollars, racking up tens and thousands of dollars on multiple credit cards. And then they think, I hit that $35,000 jackpot. It's amazing, right? And they're so excited and they're so exuberant. All that did was cut in, made a dent in the debt that they had already owed the casino. I've known people personally who have just wasted away in front of slot machines. Thinking and believing that, wow, this is going to be the solution to all of their woes. 
To put your hope in riches means to place it out front of you. To make it the chief pursuit, for it to be the number one, and your actions will always follow what you put first in life. This is true of everything. It's not just true of money. It's true of everything. If God is first in your life, your actions are going to prove that. If your children are first, your actions will show that as well. We prioritize what is most important to us, and we make choices in line with those priorities. And so if you want to know what is most important to you, then look at your choices. If you want to know what is most important to you in your life, look at your choices. You say that your children are most important, and they're more important than your phone. And yet you keep choosing your phone. You say your marriage is important, and yet you never pursue your spouse. You say generosity is important to you, and yet you're stingy with your time and with your resources. You say God's word is important to you, and yet you never open it. You say that the church is important, but you never engage, right? The point is that if you want to know what really matters to you, then look at your choices. If you want to know what you prioritize in life, look at your choices. Because your actions will always follow what you deem to be most important. And so how do we keep our money, right, our hope in our money from becoming our, our chief pursuit? Well, Paul would say that you need to put something out ahead of that. You need to make something else the number one in your life. He says this, but, and this is a redirection, put their hope in God who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. The way to offset the side effects of riches, of arrogance, of migrating hope and trust is to put our place, our hope, and our trust in God and the one who richly provides. And I bet some of you know some people who have done this. We know some people who are exceptionally wealthy, even to American standards, exceptionally wealthy, and they're some of the most generous, thankful, humble people we know. And, and there's some other people maybe that, that are, are very, very poor by even American standards, and they don't worry. And it doesn't matter how bad the stock market is or how uh, little money they make or their circumstances or the inflation rate or the looming government shutdowns. or It doesn't matter, right, because their hope remains in the God who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. Their trust is in God, not in their resources, not in their wealth. And so how do they do this? How do they keep their hope from migrating? Well, Paul continues. This is the key. Command those to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Because wouldn't it be hard to be arrogant? Wouldn't it be hard to place all of your hope and all of your trust in your money if you were so willing just to give it all away? If you didn't make it your chief pursuit, if it didn't really matter and you saw it as a tool rather than your goal, you would be willing to give it away and your hope would not be there. You can't put your hope and your trust in the things you are so willing to to generously give away. But trust is unique, friends. It, it, it requires a, a, a take a step towards the object of your trust. Otherwise, it's not really trust. It's just skepticism. We talk about this whenever we talk about trust. If I were to do a trust fall, and I just stood here, and you would be like, why aren't you falling back? Well, I'm not falling back because I don't trust you. If I trusted you, then I would fall back. I would trust your strength. I would t- trust your, your, your capabilities, your timing, your hand-eye coordination, right? I trust in you to catch me. But if I don't trust you, then I'm not falling back. If I trust you, then it requires movement towards the object of your trust. Trust just naturally does that. Trust requires action. And so the bottom line and what Paul wants his readers to understand and believe and grasp and own is this simple idea, and we talk about this all the time, whenever we talk about money, this is one of those simple, most profound circumstances uh, um, of 
I'm not circumstances. It's the most profound and, and simple of truths that we always wrestle with. We always get to the bottom of. I will not trust in riches. I will not trust in riches. I will trust in the one who richly provides. It's a simple mindset shift that provides the key of being rich. This is what it means to be rich. Wealth has side effects. And those side effects are the very things that keep us from being good at being rich. But if we can address the temptation to trust in our riches, right? I will not trust in riches, but I will place my trust in the one who richly provides. We will neutralize the side effects. Our hope is not going to migrate. We won't fall into this trap of arrogance. We'll be free then to be rich, to be generous, and to be willing to share. So over the next three months... We're going to practice this corporately as a church. We do this, again, every fall all the way through Christmas. We love this season here. It's, it's so much about who we are. It's so much fun. It's so good for our community. And this is the kind of work that tills the hard soil of the soul of our community. Not only for those who are far from Jesus, it tills the hard soil of our souls as well. And it helps us redirect our trust in God. This is the kind of work that shocks a community because extravagant, simple generosity isn't natural. It's not often experienced, and therefore it's not often recognized. But extravagant generosity towards people is nat- isn't, <clears throat> I'm sorry, is the natural response to God's extravagant generosity towards us. And as we look at all that God has done for us, yes, it should drive us towards gratitude, but that gratitude should drive us towards more extravagant generosity onto the world. And so we're excited to share with you some of the ways that we can be rich together this season at Restoration. You should have received a card as you walked in, um, and there are little hearts on a calendar. On one side, there is the verses that we've been talking about. On the other side, there is... You should have received that car. There is a QR code as well directing you to the website. The Be Rich website is now live. And I'm just going to run through these really, really quickly. But these are the various ways that you can be rich with us this season at Restoration Church. And then I'm going to share how we're going to go about actually accomplishing these. So on October 29th, we have a highway that we've adopted, Hood Boulevard, over by Pensbury High School. Um, we are going to go serve as a community. And we are going to pick up all the trash along that highway to make it clean. Simple, simple way to be rich as we are generous with our time and our energy in serving the community. We are taking a bite out of food insecurity together over the next several months. Um, we have a partnership with many food pantries in our local area, and according to recent um, uh, Facebook posts, many of our food pantries are at bare bones right now. And so it is going to be our intention to stock as many of the food pantries uh, as we can together over the next uh, few months. More details coming on that soon. We are starting a coffee shop. Many of you know that because we want to um, build conversations and relationships with our community in a safe and neutral place. Uh, I don't have details on when that's opening yet, but soon. <laughs> I keep saying that, don't I? I keep saying that. I keep saying that. Keep praying it. Yes, keep praying. Yes, break down some of the strongholds that we're up against. But we do have a work day coming up on November 4th. So it's a Saturday, November 4th. We're going to be putting furniture together. We're going to be doing a number of other things, some outdoor projects, some indoor projects. So if you want to help us uh, get the bridge ready to go on November 4th, we'll be having a work day there. 
Uh, we've incorporated a number of prayer gatherings because we need to bathe our community in prayer during the season. So on November 5th, that's a Sunday after our Sunday morning service, we're just going to gather out on the lawn and we're going to spend some time praying together as a, as a corporate body. Uh, we have a partnership with the IFA, which is the Interfaith Food Alliance, and then each year they ask us to contribute towards a portion of food baskets, uh, Thanksgiving food baskets, and so we'll be getting the details as to exactly what we need for that um, coming as well. Uh, we have the Giving Tree, which is a, a, a way that we get to bless um, those who are struggling to provide a happy Christmas for their children um, within the Pensbury School District. Uh, that'll be live on November 12th. We'll give you all the details of that as well, but that's really to build relationships with those who are struggling within our community uh, and to help them love on their own kids uh, through the Christmas season. We, the last several years, we've been um, loving on teachers, and this year we are going to love on the teachers of Manor Elementary School. Uh, we're going to provide a wish list for them, and they will su- su- supply everything that they uh, desire to help make their classroom even a better environment for their kiddos. That's awesome. Then you'll probably be a recipient of that. That's awesome. Your, your teacher will at least. So super cool. Um, Treehouse is going to be doing a service project on the 12th as well. Uh, so the youth will be involved in a number of these. And this is really anybody can be involved in any of these. There's no, you know, age limit that we're, we're, we're stopping these at. So, um, yeah, Treehouse will be doing a, a service project on November 12th. The bridge. Uh, laundry Love, sorry, Laundry Love. We, we're gonna go to the laundromat. We've been partnering with the last several years. We're gonna buy out all the laundry. That's an incredible day because what do you do when you are sitting there waiting for your laundry to be done? You sit there on your phone, right? And so what we get to do is have really meaningful conversations with people. And it is amazing what a, I mean, laundry is expensive, first of all, to do at the laundromat, but it is amazing to hear how, how these families are struggling and that this is, Laundry is such an important thing, but it's one of those things that just drains them of any hope that they have. And so we get to have these conversations um, because laundry can be very expensive. Um, the bridge, we are, again, in preparation for opening. We're going to be uh, distributing flyers throughout our community. So within your own neighborhood, if you want to take 50 or 75 flyers, whatever it may be, and, and distribute those to your own neighbors, put them indoors or in the, the flies or mailboxes. Uh, welcome to that. And then we'd encourage you to be praying for those houses, even as you walk, kind of like do, do a prayer walk as you do that. And get your kids to hop on their bikes. Let's give, let's give a round to our AV text back there, making this happen. Week in and week out, they are such a blessing, and they do not get the acknowledgement they deserve. So, uh, Restoration Day of Service. There are a lot of projects around this building, um, in particular, uh, outside and inside, that we we attend to every single year. And so we have a day of service coming up on November 18th. And then the following day is a community day of service where we go out into our community away from this building, although there are a number of projects even within our building that we'll be doing, but it will ultimately benefit the community outside. Um, and so two day, a whole weekend of, of serving our community <clears throat> in really practical and tangible and generous ways. 
We're going back to the Trenton area soup kitchen uh, for two days, one time in November, one time um, around the Christmas season, where we get to serve the homeless and those in need um, right there at the task, which is I did it last year. It was really, really incredible um, blessing for me and for all involved um, to serve the homeless there. We have a pay it forward night coming up on November 30th. This is when we give you an envelope full of cash and we say, go have fun with it. Go, go be generous in whatever way God is calling you to be generous with. Maybe you go to Walmart and pay for people or some people go to the dollar store and, you know, pay for the next three people in line or whatever it be. And, um, you give just an enormous tip to your waitress or whoever it may be. So, I mean, you can be creative about how you spend that money and how you spend that resource. Um, we have a prayer walk through Lakeside and Pinewood on December 5th scheduled. We're bringing back the, the shared meal holiday shop and free market. Um, that was a way where, uh, in, in, um, partnership with the shared meal that's already happening, we, we just help resource those homeless and those in need, um, with a lot of extra things, um, that would certainly bless them around the Christmas time. Uh, we are going to wrap all of those gifts then, uh, for at Manor Elementary School on December 12th. Uh, and then we'll be delivering those a little later that week. Uh, we are going to um, host a party, a Christmas party for Life Abundant Incorporation, um, which is really for the kids whose parents are incarcerated. And so this is a Christmas party that we host here at Restoration for those children whose parents are in prison. Um, and then we're going to go Christmas caroling together on December 21st. And so if you want to hold a candle and ring a bell and go Christmas caroling around our neighborhood and just spend, spend some Christmas cheer, we're going to be doing that together on the 21st. Um, here's the thing. We're, we're hoping for 100% participation um, in this campaign. In some capacity or in many, we hope that you will participate. Last year, it was estimated that we together raised about $25,000 worth of goods and money that we gave back directly to our community. And we together served um, about 1,500 hours. And so that was really incredible. We hope to certainly do that again. There are four ways that you can participate in Be Rich. First, you can give financially. If we are going to do everything that we need to do this season, then we need financial gifts towards Be Rich specifically so that we can serve our community in this way. I know a lot of you already give to the cause of Christ here at Restoration. Thank you if you give to the, the general fund. I know a lot of you give beyond that because we're in a capital season. I, I know a lot of you give a lot already, and so I want to thank you again. I've been saying this the last several weeks. I know inflation is high. I know that we're in a season where I'm asking you to give more above and beyond your, your normal giving. I know this is asking more. I know many of you are capable of giving more. I know we're capable of giving more. I know this is true of us. I know that we are, and I think we plan to give more as well. Why? Because our hope and our trust is not in our money. It is in the one who richly provides all that we have for our enjoyment and provides it to us so that we can be generous with it. But I get it. We, we in particular, are in a very expensive time of life, probably the most expensive time of life that we're ever going to be in. My mother always used to say, my four kids are eating me out of house and home. We all know it. That's not a cliche because it's true, right? We all know it. My kids are eating me out of house. And I was like, what are you talking about, mom? I just, I just eat when I'm hungry, right? And I'm like, I know now with four kids of my own and the ages that they are, my kids are constantly eating. And with the price of groceries, it's expensive. I get it. They're active. They are involved. They have a lot of things that we're, we're paying money for. I get it. This is a very expensive time of life. I get it. And a lot of people, when they are stressed financially, as we all are, we're all riding that wave, right, to some extent. We look at what we give, and the first thing that we cut out when we get stressed is giving it's to charitable causes, to the church, or whatever it may be. Because what? The mortgage has to be paid. My kids have to eat. 
I'm not a professional financial planner. I'm a pastor. And so when people come to me with issues, concerns, or questions about money, I'm going to tell them what I would tell them about any issue that they're concerned about, whether it be relationships or their purpose in life or whatever it may be. I'm going to say, Jesus is what I'm going to say. You should become more like Christ. I'm going to push you more closer to Jesus. And in this case, if you're having money issues, I would say, I think Jesus would tell you that you should probably start giving money away. It's weird, right? If you're having money issues, Jesus would probably say you should start being a little generous with the money that you do have. And I don't say this because I want your money. I'm not saying that everybody needs to be giving to restoration. You should be more generous. I'm not saying because I want your money. I simply want you, and this is what Jesus would say, I want you to trust in the one who loves to provide for the ones he loves. And trust requires movement towards the object of our trust. Jesus would say, I I, I don't want your life to be knitted to the world that is destined to fail you. And yes, it's going to fail you. Jesus would say, I don't want your hope to migrate towards money, money that doesn't care for you. I care for you, he would say. And so I would challenge you. You don't need to start with 10%, but you should start with something, Jesus would say. Start being generous, because when I see that you're faithful with what I've entrusted to you, then I'm going to give you more to be trusted with. You know, when Emily and I were first married, we used to give our leftovers to God. We'd spend everything we needed and wanted, and at the end of the month, if there was anything left, then we'd give a little bit to our local church. And then one day we decided, and that's what it was. It was a decision. It was a decision to see money as a tool that has been trusted to our hands. And so we began to rearrange our financial life. We started giving first, saving second, and living on the rest. We started giving the first tenth to God and to his purposes, and that was a big deal. And it was kind of a shock at first, but we made that intentional choice. And then throughout the years, we felt called to add to that or or incorporate other giving into it. And for the sake of transparency and for you to know that we are not exempt from everything I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not asking you to do anything that we are not already doing or willing to do ourselves. Between what we as a family tithe to restoration, our contribution to the capital campaign, our five compassion children that we sponsor, what we give to missional organizations, a couple other initiatives that we make sure are funded, we have chosen to give away about 20% of our income every single month. Again, I don't say that to boast. I don't say that to say, look at me, look how amazing we are. I say it to be transparent. I say it so that you know leaders go first. And I will say that our giving has never returned void, that we've never missed a bill, and since then we have only ever been entrusted with more. And there are story after story after story about how how that goes, but we don't have the time for that this morning. We recognize, though, that we recognize that our choices prove our priorities. Emily and I talked about this, and we agree. Our choices prove our priorities. And if God is our priority, then that is going to be seen in the way that we behave. And trust is a muscle that needs to be exercised if it is going to grow. And so it wasn't easy in the beginning, but we stepped into it. And he has only ever grown the muscle of our faith. And we are better for it. And so pray and consider giving to the Be Rich season. For some of you, it may be $10. For some of you, it may be $40. For some of you, say, you know, that's that's not what God has called me to be. I, I want to be more generous than that. And so I'm going to give, I don't know, $500. We've seen $500 checks come into the Be Rich campaign in the past. Pray and then do what God is calling you to do and give what God is calling you specifically to this Be Rich campaign. I'm going to invite the band forward. We're going to sing one final song quickly as we conclude our time together. 
beyond giving, there are other ways that you can contribute. You can donate, you can shop, and you can serve. And I recognize that donations and shopping also cost money. And so think about it. If you're going to, you know, take a family off the giving tree, if you're going to give to the manor Christmas, if you're going to donate to a few other causes, yeah, it may cost a couple hundred dollars, a couple more than you're already giving. This may stretch you a little bit financially. It's going to add up. Not only though will it set those who experience your generosity free, it's also going to set you free. It's going to take the, the, the hope that so often and quickly migrates to our wealth and it's going to place your hope and your trust in the God who loves to provide for those he loves. We are hoping for 100% participation, again, in one way or another. The QR code will direct you to the Be Rich tab of our website. You can sign up for everything right there. We're going to be sharing about all these opportunities over the next several months as we be rich together as a community. Thank you, friends. I love this church. I love how generous we are. You need to know that we are making a difference in our community, that I hear all of the time, and I don't. I need to, I need to pass this off to you more often because I hear it. As the pastor, I get the phone calls. I had, a, I had a conversation with a pastor of Oxford Valley Elementary School this two weeks ago, and he was just raving about how generous Restoration Church is and the good that we're doing. And he was so thankful that we're in our community for our community. I get stuff like that all the time. And it's not about me. It's about us doing this work together, friends. And I'm so excited for this season because it is such a good season to introduce our community to the love of God through our love for them.